What would you say is worse, being tortured by the enemy or dying at the hands of the enemy? Welcome to the Transformative Duff. My name is Rabbi Daniel Friedman. Today we are on page 33 of Tractate Subus, and we learn that Hitler killed 6 million Jews, but there are many, many millions who survived but were then subjected to a life of perpetual torture as they remembered their loved ones day in, day out. Their children grew up in the shadow of this pain and suffering, and they're called, rightly so, second-generation survivors. Some people have gone so far as to call the grandchildren third-generation survivors, but personally, I'm not so sure. I'd like to thank Jeremy and Jackie Marshall for dedicating today's transformative Duff message in honor of their 40th wedding anniversary, wishing them only simchas for many, many years to come. We wish you a hearty Mazel Tov, we honor you, and we honor your dear children, Esther, Sarah, and in loving memory, Rebecca. Welcome to the Transformative Duff, and thank you for being my Chavrusa today. i like to begin with a story. When King Nebuchadnezzar exiled the Jews to Babylonia, he recognized their skill set and elevated a number of them to positions of leadership, including three young men called Hananiah, Mishal, and Azariah. He then built a huge idol of himself and demanded that everyone bow down to the idol upon hearing the beating of drums, the clanging of cymbals, and various other musical sounds. Some jealous Chaldeans reported to the king that Hanani, Mishal, and Azariah were refusing to prostrate themselves before the graven image, so they were immediately summoned to appear before him. Adamant in their refusal, he decreed that they should be bound in ropes and cast into a fiery furnace. He then raised the temperature to seven times the regular, so hot that the executioners who were leading them to their sentence died on the spot. Having sent the young men off to their deaths, Nebuchadnezzar's rage abated. Suddenly, he discerned the figures of four men wandering around inside the furnace, unbound and fully clothed. They were none other than Hananiah, Mishal, and Azariah in the company of an angel. The three young men emerged from the furnace unscathed with their clothing completely unsinged and fresh. Thus were they rewarded for being prepared to die rather than worship an idol. Let's look at today's Gemara. Rav Ashi asked, How do you know that death is more serious than lashes? After all, Rav taught, had they whipped Hananiah, Mishal, and Azariah, they would have worshipped the idol. Let's analyze the Gemara. In order for a court to punish a criminal, the Torah mandates that he must have received a warning prior to the crime. Consider the following scenario. Two people are engaged in a fight to the death. Ultimately, no death occurs, but one of the duelists inflicts a serious wound upon his opponent. The witnesses had issued a single warning that murder would incur capital punishment. Says the Gemara, even though they did not warn him that he would receive lashes for wounding, he is deemed nonetheless to have been warned. Rav Ashi, however, questions the underlying assumptions about which is worse, death or lashes, citing a tradition that even the willing martyrs, Hananiah, Mishal, and Azariah, might have succumbed to sin if they were threatened with torture instead of death. Many good Jews wouldn't think twice before accepting martyrdom rather than commit the three cardinal sins of idolatry, murder, and immorality. But consider for a moment what you would do if given the choice of idolatry or torture. Ravashi suggests that our three heroes might not necessarily have acted as virtuously. Based on this idea, the Chsamsofa resolves a fundamental question about the Akedah, the binding of Isaac. The tenth and final of Avram's trials was Hashem's commandment to offer up his son as a sacrifice. 
As the Torah describes along the way to Mount Moriah, Yitzchak, who was not a child but a mature adult aged 37, realizes what is happening and yet readily submits to the will of God. Why then is Avraham extolled for passing God's test? Really, it's Yitzchak who deserves the credit for being prepared to die. Answers the Chsam Sofer. For Yitzchak to have died Al-Kiddush Hashem sanctifying God's name would have been a once-off act of martyrdom that would have happened in a brief moment. Avraham, however, would have had to spend the rest of his life tortured by the loss of his child. That's a far greater trial. That's why it takes this final test of faith for Hashem to declare, Now I know that you are God-fearing. Avraham was prepared to submit to a lifetime of psychological torture, the likes of which Hanani, Mishal, and Azariah might not have been able to endure. This teaching of the Chassam Sofer explains the awe and reverence that we must demonstrate toward Holocaust survivors. When discussing the genocide of the Shoah, we often focus on the six million murdered by Nazi Germany. They were, of course, heroes of our people, who died al-Kiddush Hashem and must never be forgotten. But what emerges from the Chassam Sofer's explanation of the Akedah is that the lifetime of psychological torture endured by survivors, many of whom had not just one child but their entire families wiped out, is a trial of immeasurable proportions. The true number of Shoah martyrs is not six million. Consider the many millions more who walked out of the death camps to a life where every hour of every day of the rest of their lives would be unbearable. Being prepared to die Al-Kiddush Hashem is an unbelievable act of faith. But being prepared to live Al-Kiddush Hashem is no less an indescribable act of martyrdom. The survivors' superhuman show of strength and their willingness to go on and rebuild Jewish families and Jewish communities is the ultimate show of faith. My grandparents were survivors who lived Al-Kiddush Hashem. They called the children of survivors second-generation survivors, many of whom grew up in the shadow of the Holocaust. Some had parents who woke up every night screaming. Others had parents who, due to their psychological wounds, were emotionally distant and unable to show them the kind of love a parent would normally give a child. My father is a second-generation survivor who has lived with the torturous effects of the Shoah and yet has worked on himself to be one of the most amazing, good-natured, kind, tolerant, patient people I have ever met. Some grandchildren of Holocaust survivors call themselves third-generation survivors. I believe that the term minimizes the pain and suffering of Holocaust survivors and their immediate families. I didn't grow up in the shadow of the Shoah as my father did. My childhood was pleasant and protected. Even the stories I heard from my grandfather were the result of many years of processing what had happened in his life, retold without the pain and anguish that had once enveloped his life. In his youth, my father never heard the stories. In those earlier days, Zaidi, we call him Papa, could not even discuss the Shoah. Just thinking about it was torturous. It's hard to live up to the madrega, the spiritual stature of my forebears. I think about what it would take for me to live Al-Kiddush Hashem. I'm not looking for a life of torture, God forbid, but what religious sacrifices should I be making in my life? It goes without saying that I will never reach the holy level of my parents and grandparents, but I still must strive to find ways to stretch myself for heaven. We all have trials in our lives, none of which comes close to the challenges of those who preceded us. But every time we face our particular tests and feel that we are not up for the task, we need to remind ourselves that Hashem is asking relatively little of us to live Al-Kiddush Hashem. 
Whether you're struggling to maintain complete honesty in your business practices, or to keep kosher in the workplace, or to make time to dive in with a minion and attend shiurim, or not to get angry at your spouse and kids, nobody's struggle should ever be minimized. Right here, right now, the challenge may very well feel gargantuan to you. But when you do find yourself struggling, it helps to keep things in perspective. Hashem wants you to live Al-Kiddush Hashem, and compared to previous generations, our trials and tribulations are minor. I want to take a moment to apologize to anyone who feels that these thoughts are disrespectful. I completely appreciate that nothing in this world can compare to the pain and anguish of Shoah survivors, and I don't mean to suggest otherwise. All I'm trying to present is that we must all live Al-Kiddush Hashem. Those who have experienced unspeakable suffering and yet have committed themselves to the continuity of the Jewish people are automatically amongst the righteous of Israel who live Al-Kiddush Hashem. The rest of us must find ways to go above and beyond our natural predisposition and proclivities to fulfill our duty to live Al-Kiddush Hashem. When Rabbi Akiva was captured by the Romans for teaching Torah, they subjected him to a t- horrible form of torture. They peeled off his skin with steel combs. At that moment, he exclaimed, All my life I longed for the day when I would merit to fulfill the declaration that I make each day in the Shema, and you shall love Hashem your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your might. Now I am finally able to serve Hashem with all my soul. But the truth is, Rabbi Yekiva didn't need to wait till die Al-Kiddush Hashem. He had already dedicated himself to living a life Al-Kiddush Hashem. The sacrifices for Torah he endured were unparalleled. Lest one think that one doesn't accomplish the mitzvah of Kiddush Hashem until one is martyred, we need only look at Rabbi Akiva's lifelong dedication to the service of Hashem and the Jewish people. Dying Al-Kiddush Hashem is an incredible mitzvah, but living Al-Kiddush Hashem is an even greater mitzvah. Each person knows his own personal challenges and trials. May you forever strive for a life of sacrifice, wishing you a transformative day. Thank you for tuning into the Transformative Duff Podcast with Rabbi Daniel Friedman. Whether you've been doing Duff Yomi for years or you're not quite ready to commit but want to be part of the Duff Yomi global movement, there's something in the Transformative Duff for everyone. It's about joining the conversation. It's about talking over the Duff with your family, your friends, your colleagues. It means never being short of a discussion starter or a meaningful Dvar Torah. Every page of the Gemara, every word, every letter contains the secrets of the universe to achieving a life of simcha and purpose. Transform your life today. The Transformative Daf is published by Mosaica Press and available at all good Jewish bookstores and online from mosaicapress.com. Thank you, The Transformative Daf. Yeah.